I grew up loving aerospace, hence the mechanical engineering degree in college. And one of my favorite movies was The Right Stuff, which basically details the aerospace industry coming out of World War II. Um, so jet technology coming on board. And I just, I didn't live through that. But watching that movie and then living through the biotech revolution we are currently living through, I just see so many parallels. It's like every day something is being pushed in a basically infinite amount of different directions that has implications across the entire ecosystem. And it's just a really exciting time to be involved. And um, if you can't see that there's going to be ever increasing possibilities um, for the foreseeable future, I, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you. It's a very exciting time to be involved with this industry. Welcome to the Personalized Medicine Podcast. This is the place where scientists, clinicians, and entrepreneurs discuss the progress of this rapidly developing field. I am your host, Alexander Yahensky. Let's start. Three, two, one, and we are live. Welcome to the next episode of the Personalized Medicine Podcast. Today we will be talking about aging and genetic tools that can potentially reverse it. It is my pleasure to introduce to you Dan Oliver, the co-founder and CEO of Rejuvenate Bio. Dan studied mechanical engineering and business at Caltech and obtained an MBA from Harvard Business School. After completing his studies, Dan co-founded several successful companies in very diverse industries. Dan's most recent venture is Rejuvenate Bio, a company that is developing new gene therapies to address aging and age-related diseases. Dan, thank you so much for finding time to speak to me today, and welcome on the show. Super excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Perfect. Dan, I would like to start with your story. You studied engineering and business, but ended up in biotech. So I'm curious what got you inspired in biology and how that interest led you to the place you are at today. <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't necessarily seem like a linear path. Um, I think the kind of through thread with my career has been an interest in actual applications of science. And I couldn't, I couldn't uh, tell you when I was an undergrad at Caltech working on mechanical engineering, I was going to end up in biotech or that is specifically what I was interested in. Um, but if you look through my career, I think what I was searching around for at times was places I could utilize the fact that I, you know, I had a, a real passion and uh, at times a good understanding of science, um, but also a kind of um, need to actually apply it to problems and solutions that, you know, would make a difference in people's lives. And so coming out uh, as an undergrad at Caltech, I actually launched a nonprofit company around creating a better wheelchair for developing countries. Um, simultaneously, I was working as an aerospace engineer and uh, really fell in love with all it took to actually take a scientific innovation um, to market, to scale, and also uh, became painfully aware of how little I knew about a number of the tasks past just kind of the science and the engineering. Uh, so that drove me back to school. Um, at business school, I, was, I uh, spent some time looking to clean tech um, and then also uh, was lucky enough to be awarded a fellowship coming out of the MBA program called the Blavatnik Fellowship. Uh, which paid me for a year to basically look at technologies around the campus at Harvard University and work to spin one out. Was lucky enough to meet up with a team out of the engineering school to spin a company out called Voxelate. 
um, which was actually recently sold, um, although I, I had left at that point. But they worked on novel 3D printing technology um, that I thought could have some really interesting applications in manufacturing. Um, and kind of concurrently there uh, was hanging out with a friend of mine from Caltech, where, is, where Rejuvenate really started. Perfect. Yeah. And let's come to the Rejuvenate story. Uh, I think it's super interesting also for our audience to understand how this company came about. Uh, so maybe you can tell us a little bit about the origin story of Rejuvenate Bio. Yeah, I feel like everything comes back to Caltech, but... Um, I was uh, very good friends with a classmate there whose name is Noah Davidson. Um, he's actual brains behind the operation here. So I can't take too much credit for any of the underlying innovation here at Rejuvenate. But uh, Noah and myself were classmates at Caltech. He was the year above me. Um, we took fairly disparate paths coming out of undergrad. Uh, Noah actually went a more traditional academic path, got his PhD in synthetic biology at MIT interested in gene circuits, and then joined George Church's lab at Harvard Medical School, um, more specifically at the Wyss Institute inside of Harvard, and uh, was interested in aging and age-related disease. Um, you guys have heard my story, so we both ended up in Boston at a similar time, and we're good friends, and so hang out, talk about a number of different things, but a topic of conversation often was you know, business ideas. Um, and they usually surrounded kind of crazy things Noah would come up with, um, none of which I thought was crazier initially than his uh, research he was doing in George's lab to start. Um, but as he started generating data and uh, things were becoming you know, more and more real, uh, I became really intrigued with how we would actually commercialize that. And Noah started kind of asking me to work on it informally to start. Um, but then I was brought in more formally, uh, became an entrepreneur in residence inside of the Wyss Institute at Harvard. Uh, focused on specifically spinning out the technology that would become the kind of basis for Rejuvenate Bio. Um, and then we raised our first round of funding in uh, June 2018. Yeah, sounds fantastic. And uh, yeah, I like that serendipitous way of starting the company, right? You you know people for quite some time, you don't know where you'll end up, but it's important to have those connections uh, established. And you never know how they will work out in the future. It pays to have it pays to have smart friends. So yeah. um, thank you to my parents for making me go to Caltech, um, but definitely worked out there. And you know, one other thing I'll mention too, um, I think a really culminating event for Rejuvenate story, if it's not specifically mine, was about six months into Noah's postdoc, uh, he got a puppy named Bear, and uh, you know, he started connecting the dots that a lot of the things that he was doing in the lab if he was to take step forwards, could create therapies that could actually make a difference in Bear's life. And I think that was kind of a seminal event um, as well for the formation of the company. Perfect. And like maybe speaking about the dogs, uh, I know that, that you guys uh, try to address aging, not just in humans, but uh, in dogs as well. So curious to hear kind of what is the rationale there? Is it more like research driven or again, kind of personal motivation? of Noah to, to, to drive that um, part of your business? Really good question. So I think it's kind of all the above. Um, we are super passionate about animal health around here. Um, so, and we recognize there's large challenges in animal health, frankly, a number of diseases that have treatments or cures um, in the human health arena do not for animal health. And so oftentimes pet parents and veterinarians are left without solutions. Um, so it is a large challenge that we're excited to solve. Um, but we also recognize, particularly for our approach, 
the data generated for, by treating dogs has applications in human health. And frankly, a lot of the work to get a product to market in animal health is almost one-to-one -one the same as the work needed to get a therapy into the clinic for human health. And so we started diving into this and started realizing not only could we kind of double dip on the work we were doing, um, whether we were focusing on human health or animal health, um, but we also were going to be able to, and I think this is a key point, uh, create a really interesting large animal study long-term um, that not only is proving our point that we're making these changes in the lives of the pets we're treating, but also is very representative data for pushing gene therapy into areas it hasn't been and actually um, having proof points on an ability to reverse aging, increase health span, um, and increase quality of life. Um, and so by being able to sell into the animal health market, uh, we will actually be generating you know, data in tens of thousands of animals eventually. And that's our, that, or I should say, that's our goal. And all of that data should, I think, make people, obviously when it comes back positive, or that's the hope, uh, should make people much more confident in what's going on um, as we start pushing um, our therapies into clinical trials in humans and eventually into uh, indications on that side with very large patient populations. Perfect. Yeah, makes makes perfect sense. And it's great to see, like what you mentioned, that, that you are addressing something that is quite often neglected um, in the, say, healthcare space, the animal health. And uh, what I'm curious about a little bit is the technology behind your idea. So you mentioned that Noah have done quite a lot of research in George Church's lab um, on uh, kind of genetic alterations that can reverse or slow down aging. So I'm curious... What, what is the approach that you are trying to use there? Are you targeting specific genes? Um, is it uh, like a broader platform? So what is kind of the secret sauce behind Rejuvenate Bio? Yeah, so our mission is to actually reverse aging. And I use that, um, that phrase intentionally. Uh, I think there's a number of people out there that talk about things like longevity um, and things like that. We are specifically focused on reversing aging. In order to do that, we've initially created uh, combination gene therapies that take advantage of genes that have been shown to increase lifespan in transgenic mouse experiments. So if someone's not a medical expert, what I just said was we're basically taking mutations that have been shown when bred into mice increase their lifespan. So what's compelling about that? Well, I mean, first off, obviously, it's suggestive of ability. Those genes um, mutations are suggestive ability to affect aging. Um, also, I think a downstream you know, logical conclusion is they must be able to affect age-related disease as well. Because if the animals aren't dying, then they at least aren't getting as high a prevalence of age-related disease. The other thing we found compelling about that and what we learned from doing this work is it also means those targets um, are really, really safe, have very robust safety profiles and well-validated safety, safety profiles. And so that is important because uh, to us, to actually move towards reversing aging is not kind of a one-step one holy grail gene or particular intervention. We think it's a, a combination of interventions that help increase the health of the patient and are able to treat multiple age-related conditions. So our combination gene therapy actually encodes for two different proteins that we deliver via, via an adeno-associated virus or AAV-based gene therapy. 
And effectively, those proteins are both secreted factors. So they're expressed from cells and then secreted in the bloodstream and have their effects widely on the, on the body. Um, thus far, we've been able to generate data initially in mice where we showed that first therapy we're bringing to market has the ability to treat models of heart failure and kidney failure in mice, as well as diabetes and obesity. And we've subsequently seen um, really promising data in treating heart failure in dogs, and this is a naturally occurring heart failure, as well as reversing obesity in dogs as well. And so this, to me, if I had to put a bow on it, is the power of focusing on aging. Uh, we can create treatments that have really robust safety profiles, generally increase the health of our patients, and are able to treat multiple indications at once. And so instead of kind of getting a laundry list of side effects, you're getting a laundry list of potential other indications and problems these therapies are solving. That's the hope. That's the goal. That's the promise. Perfect. Yeah. And I guess kind of as your research progresses, you can add even like more genes to that pool and uh, let's say enhance further the, uh, the um, power of your platform. Yeah. So then the next step, if you kind of think about what we're doing as re-regulating two proteins that become out of or dysregulated through age, the next step we really focus on is, are there tools that don't focus on one, two or 10 or 12 or a hundred, but could restore gene expression profiles on a system level? And so this gets you more into kind of the epigenetic reprogramming space. And I can't tell you too much about the efforts we have ongoing there, but that's really where I see the space going. Instead of focusing on, um, you know, a handful of, of proteins that you're looking to re regulate, uh, working on a more system level to return gene expression to what it was when your patient was, uh, you know, younger or, you know, in our case, what we're really looking for is healthier. Yeah, super fascinating. And uh, yeah, I completely get that approach. I think like with gene therapy, you can make few edits, let's say in your hard uh, coded genes, but if you can tweak the epigenome and simultaneously affect thousands of genes and reverse that gene expression profile to to the cells which of the younger individual, that, that can completely change the game. Yeah, and I think that's an important point you bring up too, the aspect of utilizing gene therapy. Um, we are able to make a more direct change to what we want by utilizing gene therapy, whether it's an epigenetic reprogramming gene therapy or a more standard gene therapy, which is our first products that are coming out the door. So these, you know, I kind of think of the toolkit being built. I'm an engineer by training, so everything comes back to that. But <clears throat> these genetic toolkits or tools allow us to make different changes in a way that have less off-target effects, um, are more precise. And so in a kind of small molecule world, a number of the things we are, we're doing would just not make sense, even if you had found the correct pathways uh, to go after. And so, you know, we, uh, we actually work with Kathy High, who was the uh, founder, uh, CSO, and president of Spark Therapeutics, first human gene therapy company to get approval by the FDA. And a huge amount of the work that her, her colleagues and cohorts were able to accomplish with gene therapy allow this kind of next generation of um, therapeutics to come onto line. So huge amount of work out there. And that's what gets me really excited about biotech is this kind of iterative nature now. And as more and more innovations come that build basically more tools that you're able to use, you're able to attack 
larger and larger challenges and create therapies that are more and more targeted to those. Dan, what I'm also curious about, George Church is also one of your uh, co-founders. Um, from, from the founding perspective, how important was it to have George's backing uh, in the beginning, either like to convince investors uh, or to, to build up the company? Because I guess the mission that you have is, is super ambitious, but I can uh, also see a lot of a lot of uh, people being skeptical at first and kind of following this idea, especially for somebody who is outside of the field. So George is amazing. I can't say enough good things about him. He's one of the uh, most special, um, intelligent people I've ever met in my entire life. Um, I, I think George's impact on the company come in multiple different areas. Um, of course, the technical development of it was done under his purview at his lab. And I'd be, you know, I'd be remiss not to mention that he had a huge amount of directing uh, where Noah, Noah kind of put his efforts in and also was there um, when challenges arose to help solve them. And he's done that over and over again. I also think he is so willing to take chances and push the envelope. And it's not just Rejuvenate Bio. You see this across companies like eGenesis and others um, that are doing really intriguing things. And George, I think, is one of those people that if he sees a logical way of accomplishing a large challenge, he's more than willing to stake his reputation, um, his resources on going after it. And so we can't thank him enough for the support he gave us both early on. Um, certainly, he was helpful um, through our fundraising processes. Um, his name certainly opens a large amount of doors. But I think, you know, one thing George would agree with is um, he he's also very good at attracting people around him that can actually go and execute on all these. And so uh, I have to give a lot of credit to Noah for initially building out the technical aspects of the company. And now rejuvenates not just Noah and myself. I mean, we're a team of 20 working on this every day. It's 20 really driven, passionate people about what we're working on. And I think almost that is more of the genius of George is he's able to attract talent and passion to push into these areas to actually accomplish these goals. We are doing this show for you and your feedback is very important for us. So if you have any suggestions or comments, would like us to cover a specific topic or recommend a guest please write us an email to team at pmedcast.com. Or you can reach out to us on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook. Just type in Personalized Medicine Podcast and you will find us there. To download the show notes for this episode, visit our website, pmedcast.com. It's p-m-e-d-c-a-s-t dot The show notes include guest bios, links to their most notable work, and recommendations for additional reads on the topic of the episode. Make sure to check them out. And don't miss the next episode. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Give us a rating and leave a comment. It will help us make this show better. And now, let's get back to the interview. Dan, one more question that I would like to ask you is less scientific and more philosophical, and you alluded to that already a little bit earlier. So you mentioned that you want to fully reverse aging, not just, let's say, prolong the healthy lifespan, but try to really prevent aging, so to say, from happening. Can we really get there or, or would we rather stop at this step where we just, let's say, postpone the, uh, the aging by like another five or 10 or 15 years? 
Yeah, I mean, this is why I don't like talking about maximal lifespan as much because um, I think it leaves out a huge portion of what's actually important to people and whether that's what they find important for their dogs or for themselves. And this is the idea that I think everybody's on board with more years of high quality of life. And so if we can create treatments that, you know, go after that, I think people are going to be happy. That would manifest itself in, you know, a number of different ways, less cancer, less heart disease, um, less stroke, um, less Alzheimer's, all of these things that people, I think, 100% agree on. And you see huge amounts of money devoted to fundraise for this is the power of, of focusing on aging. Um, when you talk about maximal lifespan, you get like a lot of these uh, philosophical debates, which I think are important. But if we are able to increase the amount of years of high quality of life, um, I think it's likely that maximal lifespan will increase. But I also think you'll do a huge amount of good and in, in almost guarantee that what you're doing is worthwhile along the way. And so that's really the way we think about it. Um, that is very key. Um, when we look at our therapies and also the experiments we run, uh, we make sure that we run experiments. Experiment, we either make sure in our trials that we're measuring quality of life metrics or we run side trials and side experiments that are effectively verifying that we're increasing um, health span and quality of life as we're doing these things. And so, you know, we always use the kind of analogy that don't think anybody necessarily wants to have uh, the typical quality of life of a, a 90 year old for another 30 years. Um, but if you could, if you told them that they could feel, um, have the lack of disease and um, the quality of life that they had when they were in their, you know, mid twenties to early thirties or something like that, I think most people would sign that sign up for that for themselves and for their pets. And so that's what we're focused on. Perfect. Yeah. Sounds great. And, uh, Dan, want to discuss future a little bit with you. Uh, so the question that we like to ask on this podcast is about what type of developments you would like to see in your field over the next 10 years. So perhaps speaking specifically about aging and aging research, what are the three big things that you expect to happen over the next 10 years or you would like to see happening? Yeah. So, I mean, we just hit one, you know, and I won't belabor the point anymore, but I think the most important is a focus on age reversal versus uh, maximal lifespan or longevity. And so I won't, I won't rehash that. Uh, I think the other thing that we'd like to see is this idea of reversing aging adopted in a broader setting. Um, you are seeing it seep into large pharma already. Um, we see that actually through the organization of, of pharma companies, uh, they're now recognizing that their cardiac and metabolic divisions often need to be um, together um, because the indication sets are, are, um, are interlinked. And so this idea of um, moving um, to not looking at each indication as a specific disease that's not in a larger context, um, but looking for opportunities um, to create treatments that span um, indications that are linked. And so I think that's an important focus moving forward. And then more specifically, um, for us and for gene therapy and these kind of genetic tools, there's a huge amount of work being done on different, you know, on different tools that once you get them into the body can do interesting things. And you see this across 
you know, uh, the mRNA world, uh, gene editing with CRISPR and the kind of the next gen CRISPR technologies and classic gene therapy. Um, and I do think a key technology that needs to continue to be developed, and there are people doing really interesting things here, um, but is delivery systems that do allow us to get ever increasing larger percentage of every single cell in the body. That's a huge tool, uh, a huge goal that would allow a huge amount more interesting things to be done. And so uh, I get excited about the toolkit portion, um, but that would be a huge thing that would, you know, basically accelerate uh, the possibilities for a huge amount of kind of interventional technologies if you could deliver them um, basically widely or specifically to each in every single gene type or every single cell type, I mean. Yeah, totally agree. And I think that toolkit is so important, what you also mentioned before, right? Because with every new company uh, that pushes a little bit the envelope of, of what is possible, then it becomes much easier than for the, for the next company to develop a therapy if you have like a new delivery system, a new manufacturing system. Uh, and as you said, like biotech is a good example of, of that. I think over the last 10 years, we've seen an explosion of, of new techniques, new tools that can be used um, to, to benefit patients. 100%. I, I grew up uh, loving aerospace, hence the mechanical engineering degree in college. And one of my favorite movies was The Right Stuff, which basically details the aerospace industry coming out of World War II. Um, so jet technology coming on board. And I just, I didn't live through that. But watching that movie and then living through the biotech revolution we are currently living through, I just see so many parallels. It's like every day something is being pushed in a basically infinite amount of different directions that has implications across the entire ecosystem. And it's just a really exciting time to be involved. And um, if you can't see that there's going to be ever increasing possibilities um, for the foreseeable future, I, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you. It's a very exciting time to be involved with this industry. Totally. Perfect. And yeah, I think our audience now has one more movie on their watch list that they should uh, <laughs> catch up on. Uh, I'll certainly give it, uh, give it a try as well. Perfect. Then I think also what we like to ask on our podcast, uh, specifically people who have entrepreneurial experience, is uh, what type of advice would you give to young scientists or young professionals who are thinking about starting their own company? not necessarily in biotech, but generally in, in technology, in deep tech space? Yeah, I think there's um, a bias towards like making sure your first one is perfect and everything is lined up correctly. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't do your best to make sure it's successful, but I often think that people would be better served with a bias towards action like going and trying something, trying to get involved in an existing company. Um, basically, um, I, I don't want to call it guess and check, but like go out, do stuff, see if it works, see what connects and go for it. And don't be paralyzed by the idea that if you fail or you don't build your resume the perfect way, that you'll be left out in the dark um, or ignored going forward. I actually think people start respecting um, and are intrigued by people that went for it. And if you show an ability to go for it and an ability to make it work, you're obviously you're set, but even an ability just to go for it and to, you know, push it forward a, a decent chunk, 
uh, people do not hold that against you. So go try something, get involved in a company you're intrigued in. It doesn't really matter what the role is. Um, and also be willing to take on roles that may, uh, you know, may not be the most fun to start, but, uh, I 100% believe in reps. You get better when you do these things. So go get involved, um, get the practice and then also make sure it's the thing you really want to go do. I mean, for me, that was a huge, a hugely difficult thing coming out of undergrad. I actually, I applied to, I write, I took the LSAT, I took GREs. So implying that I would looking into going to law school or grad school, I applied for like trading financial jobs and I applied for like aerospace jobs. So I was all over the map. I had no idea. Um, and now look at them ended up as a CEO of a biotech company. So I, the only thing I can say for people, there are, there are those people out there that kind of know what they want to do. Great for the rest of us, go try a bunch of different things and know it's totally fine, uh, to not like it and to switch. I did. I know lots of people who did, and, uh, that is, you know, a very viable path. Perfect. Yeah. And I can only second that, uh, that Dan, it's, uh, super insightful and, uh, yeah, as you said, just trying, just flexing that muscle and making sure that you put the reps certainly helps, uh, right? Doesn't matter what the outcome is uh, the first time around. Yeah, and like, uh, you know, there's all these opportunities at universities with business plan competitions and blah, blah, blah. And I've heard people critique those that they don't really move the needle. And in some aspects, I agree, like the hit rate out of those business plan competitions and things like that is probably fairly low for like even companies that get funding. But what I do think it offers people is an opportunity to effectively do work that is very similar to what launching an actual company would be. And it gives people an opportunity to go do that, to have to pitch, to learn a lot of those skills. And whether it's this particular company that takes off or it's your next one or the one after that, you know. Uh, I always kind of thought of it as like, you know, if you go into entrepreneurship and you do it right, they basically pay you and then they give you lottery tickets along the way. And if one of those cashes in, then, you know, you quote unquote made it there. Um, but if you like what you're doing along the way and you have this kind of upside, it just, you know, even financially, it seemed to make the most sense to me. Yeah. Great. Then before I let you go, can you let our audience know where they can find you online in case they want to reach out? I do have a Twitter account, but frankly, it's probably not the best place. I would suggest uh, LinkedIn. I think it's like Daniel C. Oliver. Um, but if you type in Daniel Oliver and Rejuvenate Bio, I'll, be, I'll come up. Feel free to connect. I basically connect with anybody who connects with me on LinkedIn. I do check my messages there. Uh, because I've used LinkedIn in the past and spam people. So I feel like it's my my duty to respond to most messages um, there. So if you're interested in talking to me um, or have questions, please feel to reach out through me uh, to me through LinkedIn. Perfect. Thank you so much, Dan. This was extremely insightful. Really loved our discussion on, on aging, on Rejuvenate Bio, on your personal story. I'm sure our audience will love it. So thanks so much and we'll stay in touch. Perfect. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Thank you so much for being with us today on the Personalized Medicine Podcast. If you like this show and know someone who would enjoy it too, please share this podcast with them. And don't miss the next episode yourself. Subscribe to the Personalized Medicine Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. 
You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many, many more. Please rate us there and leave a comment. That helps us to grow and deliver the best experience to you. To access the show notes for this episode, visit our website, pmedcast.com. It's P-M-E-D-C-A-S-T dot And engage with us on social media, where we regularly share the news and exciting content on personalized medicine. You can find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook just by typing in Personalized Medicine Podcast. Or use our handle, PMATCAST. And if you have any feedback or would like to suggest a guest for the show, write us an email to team at pmedcast.com. Have a great day and until next time.